0: BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.
1: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. to Eurograps Express. I'm your host Neil David as always and we're here to talk about the last couple of weeks in European wrestling and I've been playing in the last couple of weeks a horrendous game of chicken. You know how everyone has these little things that they do that they think are really dangerous like our lives are so boring now we're so separated from what we do we're so we're all just tiny little cogs in bigger machines that we've got to do things to make us feel alive uh, and one of my things that I've started doing is knowing full well that I've got to record a podcast and completely relying on progress to upload their shows in a reasonable time. And I have to say, it was a risk that didn't pay off, and I haven't really got the buzz of the, <laughs> of the danger that's come after it. I've just ended up having to panic at the last minute and wonder what I'm going to talk about. Uh, but I've found things. Don't worry, I'm not going to leave you. With, I'm not going to leave you without Eurograps Express for a fortnight. Don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, it is, it's a strange thing, you know. It was It's like that thing when you speak to people... And the, I don't know if anyone else does this, because I think this is absolutely insane. I've spoken to people who close their eyes on the motorway. So they'll be driving on the motorway and they like to close their eyes for like a set about of seconds. And I just think that's absolutely mad. You know, I, I don't even understand people who do things like bungee jumps and stuff like that. I, I think unnecessary risk is is unnecessary. I, I get my excitement and my kicks from uh, from from putting 12 grams of coffee in my AeroPress instead of 11 and a half. That's how boring I am. um. Which is probably why I've chosen to cover um, European wrestling um for for a hobby. Um, But it's been a funny couple of weeks, hasn't it? I think the biggest thing that seems to have happened is for the love of wrestling convention in Liverpool. Uh, I know I saw lots of things on Twitter about it. I've seen a few people went and to me it looked like absolute hell. I, uh, I, w- I nearly went a couple of years ago. Well it'd be more than a couple of years ago now because of COVID, but I nearly went to one in the past. And it was I had like a fleeting moment of madness. That's what it's that's what it felt like. Do you know sometimes when you have those fleeting moments and you think, oh do you know what I'm gonna invest in cryptocurrency. Or <laughs> you know, something like that. And then you, a moment later when you've stood up or you, you know you've you've put your phone down, you realize, and you're back in the real world you realise you think actually no it was a bad idea and I'm sure, I, I hope the people that went had a lovely time but I, I don't really understand the mark pick. Um for the love of wrestling is basically a, a convention of wrestling. You know, you go and lots of people were there. Um Bray Wyatt was there. So, you know, lots of cool people and you could go and get your photo taken, get things signed. Um, you know, loads of legends of the game. You know, people who are really into WWE would probably like it because there was lots of WWE legends there. There were people like MJF, and then there was a progress booth. Um, I think part of it is I'm not really into the mark pick thing. Um, that's Chris Hero's fault actually. I used to be into the mark pick thing, not directly paying for them. I would never go up to someone and get you know you pay the ten pound for the eight x ten and get the picture. I was never into that, but I used to have this thing where. I'd buy a t-shirt at every wrestling show. People go to gigs, they buy a t-shirt. I did that at wrestling shows. I liked having the t-shirts. It's a bit of a cliche thing, but I, I like it. I like wrestling t-shirts. And everyone who I ever bought a t-shirt off, you'd buy the twenty-pound t-shirt, and they'd let you take a mark pit with them. So I always did that. So I was I was paying for it. I would never just go up to them and ask for a picture for free because I understand that their image is is their money maker. What they look like is a big part of. Of how they make their living. And they they can monetize this thing. So they should do. But I did this to Chris Hero. And in fact I bought two t-shirts off Chris Hero. Because he, he you never know with him. You know where he's going to be. And how often he's going to come over to the UK. So I thought you know what. I'm going to get a couple of t-shirts. So I bought two t-shirts. It was a lovely long sleeved. Um, Superman style one. And another one like Japanese style Godzilla. And it's 50 pounds. He was charging 25 pound a t-shirt. And I asked him for a mark pick, and he charged me a fiver. And I'll never forgive him for that. I spent £50 on t-shirts, and he charged me a fiver for a mark pick, and I vowed that day, it was in the Ritz, he he came over for a progress show, I vowed then never to take a mark pick again. And to add insult to injury this is the ultimate slap in the face do you know when he comes out and he does the elbow thing where he doesn't give you a high five but he kind of just hits you with his elbow I was sat on the second row and I leaned over somebody I put basically put my armpit right in the face I gave, almost gave them a dragon sleeper my armpit was that close to the face leaned over with my elbow ready for a forearm smash and he passed me by so I've fallen out with Chris Hero so if you're listening Chris I think you're a great wrestler but we're not friends, Chris, and we never will be. But it's not just for the love of wrestling that's happened this fortnight. I think a lot of evaluation's been going on about the English wrestling scene and a lot of a lot of thoughts have been going back and forth in a lot of different podcasts about where we're up to with Progress and Rev Pro. Um and it's it's an old rivalry between those two that, that they'll never quite be able to shake. And I think if you're into this scene and you're somebody who who follows both of those promotions you kind of pick a side. Um, I think it's less prominent now because Progress are are kind of a a bit of a joke, and we're going to talk about that, um, whether that's fair uh, on this show. I I should say, actually, I don't think they are a joke, but I think they're they're perceived as a joke. Um, But I was always a pro guy, um, I think. And Progress, I love Progress. I'm not diminishing what they did in their heights, but you kind of pick a side. And people are going back and looking at this rivalry i think with with fresh eyes and cause it's a very it's a very bold new world now in, in british wrestling it's a very it's a very different place and we're kind of looking at these two companies and 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 looking at them with a bit more of a critical eye and I've got a bit of a history of doing this and one of the things that that kind of i i see as my one of my big moments in writing about wrestling was i wrote an article years ago now called bowling alone is rev pro okay and that's if you're gauging Twitter followers by how many people read your stuff, that was when a lot of people started reading my stuff. I say a lot of people, I'm being generous to myself, I know, but some more people started reading my stuff. And it was kind of an article where I looked at RevPro and, and, and considered who they were serving. And I, I had this feeling at the time, and I was wrong at the time, I think. To, to I was right in some ways, but wrong in others. And I had this feeling that they were, they were courting a particular fan... But not really serving them, so this was when they were having Pack and Zack Saber Jr. uh to, and Will Osprey go to time limit draws um, because Pack was champion in Dragon Gate, uh, Will Osprey and, and Zach were various champions for New Japan and Red Pro, and they were kind of promising things that they weren't really delivering and booking themselves in corners and asking people like me to pay lots of money for shows that ultimately I came away unsatisfied for. And I've kind of looked at them through that lens for a, for a while, but I think in the last few months and the past few years even since lockdown, I've had to really, really reevaluate that because what they've done is they've really focused on very, very particular stars. Like, you watch their shows now and you can see who's being pushed and who they're going all in on. Will Ospreay, obviously, top of the tree. He has to be, doesn't he? He's the best wrestler in the world. I, I, he's, he's, he's one of the best wrestlers of all time. And I, I, I find it hard when people are hypercritical of Will Ospreay's wrestling because a lot of people expose themselves as not having watched it. If you, There are still people in 2022 who say that Will Ospreay doesn't sell. Will Ospreay, and I am on record with this in various places, Will Ospreay oversells. Will Ospreay sells too much. Will Ospreay goes well overboard with the ah-ah-ahs and bastards when he gets hit. He oversells. You've got Robbie X. Who's on a level below that. Who's an absolute hidden gem, in my opinion. He's not a guy who you would push to be the top star. And if you want to know why, go and have a look at 1PW's Facebook page or their Twitter page. Because they're pushing him as a big guy and he can't really do promos. His promos aren't very good. But he's a fantastic wrestler. He's a fantastic person to have on your roster. You've got RKJ who will be a megastar. I think he'll be as big as Will Ospreay. And I, I'm not... That isn't a controversial opinion. That isn't something that is is a crazy thing to think. It's not a crazy thing to say. It's something that a lot of people think. And when I say a lot of people, I mean anybody who's watched one of his matches. And you've got Driller, Dan Maloney. They've got this core roster of really, really great guys who they're pushing. They're not people apart from Will Ospreay who they really need to worry about. And now they've got this great sort of system in place of where Will Osprey comes in when he can, but you've got these other guys to fall back on. My criticism of Red Bull recently has been that a lot of shows have just felt very, very underwhelming. But when you have a look at what they do, it kind of makes sense. And maybe I'm criticising something because it isn't directly for me but maybe making things directly for people like me and you isn't the smartest business choice. And a lot of the time, I'm hesitant to talk about business because it's not something that I have much, of a, much expertise in. And it's also something that doesn't always really interest me. I think sometimes when you talk about wrestling business, you've kind of got to be like Brandon Thurston. You know, you've got to have that head of for figures, you know, like we, because Brandon Thurston focuses on ratings, doesn't he, in business? And and he's somebody who's really got a head for, for being able to look at this analysis in a really mature, sensible way and have the brain for it. But what you do when you talk about wrestling business is you enter the most horrendous discourse. The just, uh, I think a lot of people need to have that Socrates thing. And I'm, I'm not going to talk too much about philosophy because I know people switch off, but Socrates had this thing where he said, I know nothing. And sometimes it's okay to say, I know nothing about how businesses work. We can listen. I'd listen to Brandon Thurston. I'd listen to lots of people who do know how these businesses work. And I can form opinions on what they're saying. But if I've got my own podcast and I'm writing an article, I'm not necessarily going to lead with that and actually this this is a long standing thing I've had because it comes from I'll I'll write an article and I'll say something like Zack Sabre Jr is the the best wrestler in the world and I can guarantee you will get a reply that says something like oh I didn't realise Zack Sabre Jr sold the most tickets so I don't really look at business I look at performance, I look at what's in front of me, I look at what's being presented to me in terms of story and feel and emotions, because that's what where my strength lies. And I think what that did is it allowed me to sort of pass over this actual brilliant system that RevPro have. They have this excellent hierarchy of shows that's built in to succeed as a business. And again, I, I'm presenting this as an opinion, like I say, as somebody who's saying, I know nothing about business. So if you disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. But look, they've got the York Hall show at the top, and that's really the show that's aimed at people like me the latest one has Minoru Suzuki and Will Ospreay it's got the Velocities against Aussie Open these are big matches that people like me are interested in, now the Minoru Suzuki, Will Ospreay one is obvious, it's just going to be a great match isn't it, but the Velocities one is really interesting because that's a match that has buzz for being one of the best matches of the year, like last year you know that This is our a, 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 a chance to see something that was that was so critically lauded in very particular circles. And I think that shows that they're switched on and they're aiming the shows at those people. The step below, you've got your live in London. You used to be at the cockpits, now at the 229. They are their bread and butter shows and the shows that people like me are going to go and see. Their and Hall, that's what it is. The hardcore fan show. But the problem that I've had, I think, in the last few weeks on the podcast and probably for the last few years with RevPro is that I've then been looking at the live in St. neots and the live in um, Southampton shows with the same lens as I have those two shows. And lenses and how you see things are really important. Big thing in literature, if anyone's ever studied any literature or any film or anything like that, a big thing is the gaze. Who's watching? That's the point. What lens are you looking at this through? And I'm p- permanently looking at things through the eyes of somebody who, the, you know, the cockpit guy, the life at York Hall guy. But they can't do that in St. Neats or Lower Stacht or wherever else they go down south. I don't know. I'm just, I'm throwing out, I don't really know many small places down south. The places I know are like Bracknell, because, uh, you know, from The Office, when Ricky Gervais is talking about where he might go and sell paper. <laughs> That's what I think of when I think of, uh, of RevPro territory. It's that kind of slough, those kind of really weird rubbish places down south. Um, So they go and they, anyway, the point is they go and do family shows there. So they've just got this, you know, this brilliant hierarchy of shows that serves a lot of different people. And the problem is, is that I'm looking at them through the same lens. And I don't think that's necessarily my fault. I think they're booking the same people. They're telling the same stories. I think that there should be an expectation that I will be able to get something from them all. And I, I, I usually do, to be fair. Um, I think part of the problem is VOD. The VOD bubble has just absolutely burst for me. I, I think that it's it's at the point now where it's probably a detriment to the scene that we've got. You know, think when these VODs and these on-demand services started coming out, we just sat. I mean, I'm saying we, I don't know about you, I signed up to them all. Demand Progress came out, I got it. Uh, Repro On Demand came out, I got it. WXW Now came on, I got it. New Japan World, day one. You know, and, and New Japan World and WWE Network, I'm getting VPNs so I can get them before everybody else. I can get them when they got it in Japan. I could get the network. I don't know if you remember, but the network took, I think it was years wasn't it because of the rights the Sky Sports rights to sort of get it over here so we had to go and get VPNs I was desperate for these things but then a year later two years later three years later you start to realise you're spending a Sky Bill you know a, a top flight TV package on all of these things and there's only so much wrestling you can watch and you have to start cutting down and they start to kind of fade away a little bit and then Now we're in this world where I'm paying for these on-demand services and I'm expecting to get everything from a company. And I'm starting to think, do I need to see everything? Do I need to see live in St. Nears? I mean, to me personally, the answer is yes. But I think a better question for me would be, do I need to be critical of live in St. Nears? And in my head, I'm thinking, yes, I do. Because I know what I'm like, and I know what you're like, and I know who we are. We do need to be critical of these shows. And it's important to be critical. Don't get caught up with this positivity crowd, where everything has to be looked at with excuses and caveats and positivity. You always have to find the best in things you don't. That's not how things get better. And that's not how you have fun, either, as a critic and as a fan. You have fun by being critical of things. Like, don't be a dork. You know, yeah, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. Get your joy from thinking about it. Get your joy from getting your brain matter working. You know, don't just assume things are the way they are. But I think it's kind of suffering. Pro is kind of suffering because they're uploading everything. Because in my head, I'm not necessarily distinguishing a live at York Hall from a live at the cockpit to... Alive in St. Nia's as much as I should. Obviously I am distinguishing them shows because they're in completely different venues. But also the problem with Red Pro's VOD is the quality of the VOD itself. It's shocking isn't it? It's it's really bad. It sounds awful. It looks awful. You forgive it because there's often great matches but when there aren't great matches it's really hard to forgive. They don't upload things. And I know this has become a bit of a bug, bear with me, and I won't rant on about this too much, but I think what Red Pro are doing at the minute is they're kind of trying to make out on their Twitter feed, and I don't think this is malicious, by the way, I think this is just, they're just talking and they're answering questions honestly, but I think it's coming across in a way that they're trying to make out these problems with shows being uploaded. It's a new thing, it's a recent thing, and it really isn't. I remember the ninth anniversary show. Uh, it was at Victoria Warehouse in Manchester, and that's that's my territory. And I, and I went to it, um, and I, I agreed to do a review. Rich posted um Rich Creation Voices of Wrestling. He posts the uh, the weekly sort of assignments, I suppose, and people pick them. And I'm the Red Pro guy, so I said, "Hey, I'm going to review this show." I was going on holiday a week later. That holiday to the northeast. I talked about a few weeks ago, and it was brilliant. Um, when I was going away on holiday, I thought, well, they'll have it up within within nine days. It was over a week. It was like nine days. And they didn't have it up. So I didn't review that show. And I'm not pretending that my review would have made any kind of difference. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. But they're not allowing people to, to, to watch the show. They're not allowing people to invest in it. They're not allowing critics to watch it and invest in it. They're not allowing people to really follow it. Now I'm... Well, everybody is two or three shows behind. And they play, They were at Sheffield last week and I didn't go because I thought, well, I can't, you know, it's a long way to go and a lot of money for a ticket. And I feel like I'm behind and I want to invest in this company a lot more than I've been allowed to. Maybe that's why VODs aren't as good as they should be anymore. Maybe it's time to start looking at things like independent wrestling TV where you don't have your own streaming service. There's lots and lots of companies give you know you go onto Red Pro on demand and you go onto demand progress more than Red Pro and there's more than progress on there. But what I'm worried about is is they're presenting this recent thing, as I said, as as uh, as being purely a recent thing, and it, and it isn't really. But VOD aside, Red Pro are doing brilliantly. They've just sold. What's your Hall's capacity? Did we say 1,200? I think it's 1,200, isn't it? 1,200 tickets. I think I might have said 2,000 before. That's a bit ambitious. I think it's about 1,200 tickets. That's not to be sniffed at. And if I'm putting my business cap back on, it's, it's a bit unfamiliar, bit unfamiliar. It's not. It doesn't fit me very well. But when I look at what they've done to sell those 1,000 tickets, whatever it is, to get that sell out, they've booked good shit. That's what they've done. They've booked good stuff. And I think sometimes the business people can bend themselves into knots. They can think about things too much. They've put on a big show. So they've booked big talent. And people are going. And this leads me nicely onto progress. Because progress I'm not doing well in terms of tickets. I mentioned it briefly in the last episode but they just had this Atlas tournament and they had to move to a smaller venue they've had to move to a venue that's around 150 people every night rather than you know a few hundred because they wanted to do this Atlas weekender and I think the problem is with Progress at the minute is that they're still clinging on to old glories that the current owners were not part of and are not relevant anymore they're still holding on to this cult of personality that worked really, really briefly in progress. It worked really briefly, and I would argue that a lot of the success of progress went hand in hand with that cult of personality, but also with great matches and great talent. It wasn't just the cult of personality. And now we have this very strange cult of personality with the new owners that isn't as effective as the original one. It's just a little bit strange and we don't have the big names. So they're going all in on one aspect of what made progress so brilliant and they're not even doing that particularly well. For love of wrestling, we mentioned that earlier on, you could go and meet the new owners of progress. Why would you want to do that? What, why? Why do they think that, that anybody would want to do that? Why are they all over the Twitter feed? I don't understand it. I blame Vince McMahon. Obviously, it's this weird archetype of wrestling that wrestling companies feel like we need to know who's behind them, and they need to be part of it in a in a weird way. And to be fair, the Progress guys aren't on the videos; like they aren't there yet. But the second they are, I think that would be a huge switch off. And that applies to a lot of people. That applies to Tony Khan. Yeah, Tony Khan pops up on the show. He does his big announcements. We all know who he is. And that's great. He clearly loves being Tony Khan. In the, you know, the AEW Tony Khan, which is great. But the second Tony Khan is involved in a storyline, no, I'm done. You know, I, 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 that'd be it. That'd be too far. I think Progress's biggest problem is that they want to go in on this cult of personality, but what they're doing is they're forgetting that the original cult of personality was a stand-up comedian in Jim Smallman, a theatre trained actor in Glenn. He was a he was he was a successful actor on stage. And then you had Briley, who was this grumpy man who everyone seemed to love to hate. You had very three particular personalities that worked for that sort of thing. And we could convince ourselves that we were part of, you know, we it was the three mates and we were there with them. And and it, and it worked. The banter worked. This new thing with seeing them pop up on Twitter and dancing around with Lana Rostin in a warehouse in Liverpool doesn't. But I think their problems are actually bigger than that. That's a minor point. And I think Will Cooling uh, said this best. And if you go on his sub stack, um, I think it's called It Could Be Said, I believe. Let me double check. Because I think it was, he did a really good article. It's called It Could Be Said, number 25, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Progress? And I, I don't always read Will Cooling stuff. Like, politically, we've... we've Sort of polar opposites, really, I think. And he's just, it's obviously fine, but I think his blog is more aimed at other people. But he's done this progress article, I I think it was brilliant. Um, And he's given a lot of points about what could help progress. And the one that really stood out to me, and I think the one that he's articulated perfectly, is this one No more tours, no more weekenders. I think what the Progress owners have done, and this is perfectly personified by that cult of personality thing I was talking about a second ago, they've looked at the things that Progress had and not questioned whether or not they're viable anymore. This Weekender, this Atlas Weekender, was not viable. I remember the original, the original actual, um, um sorry, the original Atlas tournament when I got my teeth in, and it was exciting and it was interesting. And there were lots and lots of talent that they could use and choose. They ended up, he wasn't the first champion, but they ended up having people like Matt Riddle hold the title. We don't really have Matt Riddles anymore. We don't really have stars that can sustain a crowd for a weekend. And they want to do another one because they want to do Super Strong Style 16. In a way, I completely understand why they persist in doing a weekend of the Super Strong Style 16. Because that's kind of a... It's a staple that. And to make that not a weekender would be an admission of defeat. And I think in some ways that's what's drawn our attention to this is because they had to backtrack. They tried to sell out a venue for this Atlas tournament and they couldn't, so they had to move it to a smaller venue and now they've got egg on the face. And it's making people, like Will Cooling with this article, it was mentioned on the Grapple podcast, it's been mentioned all over Twitter, it's mentioned it everywhere of, oh my God, our progress okay, what's going on? And people are analysing where they're going wrong, and maybe if they they just announced their show in the electric ballroom from the start, uh, sorry, not the electric ballroom, it was in the electric ballroom from the start. And if they just announced it in the dome from the start, I don't think we'd be having as many conversations. It would be it would be relegated to promote uh, to uh, podcasts like this. It wouldn't be being talked about on grapple. They they have not realised that they can't do these weekenders. They've just thought, hey, we can do this because we've always done this. And they just can't. They need to really think about how many shows they're running. They had their 10th anniversary show and they did a whole weekend of shows. And they just can't do that anymore because they can't get them up on VOD. They don't have the facilities to do it, as far as I'm aware. They don't take the VOD seriously anyway, so we can ignore that. Um, they don't have the fan base that can then do one weekend for the 10th anniversary show, then a weekend for the Atlas, and then a weekend for the um, for the uh, Super Strong Style 16. They just don't have that. And in fact, they don't have the fan base for them to then go on tour, which is what they're doing. They're overloading us with shows, and all they're doing is presenting a product that is not hot. I think if Progress did one show a month, just one show. Make it as good as it can be, you would get that buzz back. But from a business perspective, does that work? Does Mr. Wrestle Travel get his return on his investment? I don't know. But I think more importantly than any of that, they need to get a new identity. They need to stop hanging on to these, you know, having the banter at the start, having the same logo, having the same feel to it, the same... But the same feel, but a little bit worse. Like I said, they've got the colour personality, but it's a little bit worse. They've got the same titles. And you're bringing Atlas. But Atlas, they brought that back. That was gone and they brought it back. They're constantly saying, hey, look at the past, look at the past, look at the past. And when you do, all you do is look at the current product and think, well, this isn't as good as that was. I'm getting less than I got before. And I think that they really, really need to think about what they're going to do going forward. Because ultimately, like I said before, Progress and Pro are playing with the same venues, the same stars, the same everything. The problem is, Progress has been built on something that failed. Progress was a failure in a lot of ways. It was a massive success in many ways, but ultimately it was a failure because the head of it was cut off. They sold out. And I know that's a really controversial thing to say. And I've got in trouble before for saying similar things in articles. Um, I, In the article, I called them scabs, which I probably wouldn't do in this day and age. You know, like they crossed the picket line, but they sold out. They went to the big bad WWE. And you, you could shout about food on a table all you want, but that changes things. They've hamstrung themselves now. They've tied themselves up in knots to have this relationship because they're really restricted. Like now they yeah, they've got aggressive as champion, but they couldn't put all his matches on the network. He can't come out with the ROH belt. You know, they they book someone like Dragonov and they have to jump through hoops to the you because know, that performance from Dragonov at the last one was dominant against against Swad. It was and there's politics infesting everything that they do now. Who didn't do that? RevPro didn't do that. And their business is doing really well. They're succeeding. And in a way, like I said earlier, to sort of bring this full circle, you pick a side, don't you? And I pick the side of independence and I'm relieved that independence seems to be winning. But at the same time, I'm kind of sad because I think a new progress would work. A new progress would really, really work. And I'm going to talk about the first show from the uh, the Atlas tournament. Not out of any kind of like, I'm only going to look at the first show. And that's all I can look at because that's all they've uploaded. And we'll have a look at these little nuggets, these little things that they're desperately holding on to from the past that just don't quite work anymore. So let's talk about some wrestling then. Go make yourself a cup of tea. Go and get yourself some biscuits. I've been barbecuing this weekend and i made some uh, ribs and they're absolutely amazing um, if I say so myself. And I, that's not really me blowing my own trumpet. Barbecue, low and slow barbecue is easy and I recommend it to everyone. I'm not at Franklin barbecue levels. I'm not at this amazing griller by any stretch of the imagination. But I got some ribs from Costco. I put a rub on them and I left them for six hours and I've been stuffing my fat face with them. So I'm going to be eating ribs. I want you to go and eat something that you love as well. And we'll review a couple of shows we've got a progress show and a uh, red pro show to look at i think we'll start with progress shall we let's go So, as I say, I really, really wanted to talk about the whole Atlas Weekender, and this is a bit of a progress retrospective, and, and have a look at what they were up to, but they just haven't uploaded anything other than the first show, uh, which is called By the Beard of Zeus, um, which I thought was a Marvel reference, because I, I don't really watch Marvel films, I'm, it's not really aimed at me, I am a bit of a, I, I kind of agree with Scorsese, I think he was right, but apparently it's an Anchorman reference, which I think is really darker in this day and age, personally, to do an Anchorman reference, but there you go. Um, Looking at the Dome, actually, for this show, I think it's kind of a shame that it's got this perception of being a failure now because they had to go back to the Dome. I think if they'd have just booked it at the Dome in the first place, it would have been really, really good because I think it's a great-looking venue. It looked like a proper wrestling venue. Obviously, I know there's been lots of progress shows there before. I don't think it would have been something that anybody would have felt anything about, really. Um, So it's a shame that it just wasn't in there from the start, which I suppose I should speaks to what we were saying earlier about the lack of business now really that uh, they didn't just do that um one thing that I, I want to sort of mention about progress as well and this is something that I've not done before I don't think because I haven't really noticed it it's their commentary they are unbelievably indistinct I love the fact that one of them calls himself the protagonist and I have no idea what his name is or I can't tell you anything. about just Delicious irony to that. I've been calling them the protagonist and you never notice them. There's just some people talking and they're not obtrusive in a way. I, I, I don't find them offensive particularly, apart from when they say ridiculous things. But I'm not really listening to them for the most part. I'm saying they say ridiculous things, but I'm probably not hearing all the ridiculous things that they say. Uh, which is, is really weird. Um, the crowd are red hot. Uh and I think that really helps, but they're chanting for Simon Miller. Um and I'm I'm now skipping the Miller banter. I'm done with it. I think, you know, he, he says something inane about Noel Edmonds and people do an inane chant and Miller pretends it's funny. I feel like he's out of his depth a little bit. I feel like he reacts to everything that he's said and done in the audience because he's been told to have this banter and engage with the audience, but he doesn't do it very well. And this is a bit of a general problem, I think, with the Progress audience, because like we say, it is based on this cult of personality. And not necessarily the personalities of the people presenting it, but the people who go to the shows as well. Progress is a big part of who they are. Progress, traditionally, was, yeah, it was great wrestling, but it was also something that people went for a piss up. They went to meet people and have these weekenders where it was just them all getting trashed, Um, which is great. You know, it it led to brilliant atmospheres, but it's sort of a, a weird version of that now. We kicked off straight away with a first round match um, for the Atlas title and it was Axel T-Shirt against Warren Banks. Um, Banks came out first and I think that was a great idea. It's weird with progress, isn't it, that when they do something sensible, like send Warren Banks out first, someone who's really over and really popular, you think, oh yeah, well done, when actually that should just kind of go without saying. Uh, But they did and it, it got a great buzz in the room and I think it... The fact that I've picked up on that and noticed that perhaps kind of shows the, the gloves that I use when I when I review Progress, but but it is what it is. Um and Tisha's the reliable, isn't he? He's a great wrestler. Um and when they're standing opposite each other, these two, Tisha and Banks, I'm into it. Um A point from Banks that I mentioned in the last episode was I was a little bit worried about not worried as such, but I was thinking about his technical ability because I noticed that Gresham didn't go all in with the technical stuff with him. And Gresham doesn't seem to vary that ever. He, he just does the technical stuff no matter what. But he didn't do that with Banks. And I wondered if it was to kind of... sort of Maybe Banks wasn't very good at it, um, so he wanted to not do it to kind of hide the weakness, which would be a smart thing to do. I'm not criticising Banks. he's He's got plenty of other strengths. Um, but that didn't seem to be the case because Tisha led with some really great technical stuff at the start of this, but, you know, Tisha, Tisha did lead it. Um, the kind of the problem with this one is that the, the moves were good. They swapped control a little bit. This felt, to me, like a compacted main event. It felt like a main event style that they didn't really have time for. So sometimes when they would both collapse, you know, as if they were exhausted, it never really necessarily felt earned as much. Um, That being said, once Axel did a cut, he did like a weird caught through suplex and got a believable near fall. I was in, but I think it kind of relied on me making myself get into it a little bit. They just kind of said, right, we're going to have an epic match. And you have to put yourself in that epic kind of mindset. Um, The crowd wanted to boo Axel Tisha a little bit, which I didn't really like. I thought that was a bit strange that, yeah, they were really behind Warren Banks, but it felt like they slipped into pro wrestling cliches. Like you can have two baby faces, but really, really be behind one and feel like it's time for one to advance. Um, but then again, this is a crowd that were chanting shape that axe for me! Shit, that axe for me!" The axe man. Um, um, so maybe I'm I'm expecting a little bit more, but overall, um, I think this was really good. Banks snuck it, and you know what. I I agree. I think he's so over in the in the room, and it's a smart booking decision. Uh, I I can't fault it. I think this was a really good match and a really good way to start the weekend. Then there was a promo thing. They did a like a promo package for the Swan Treve. Oh, this looks bollocks. Oh, this looks so bad. A hey, Treve came out and he 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 was just so annoying. Um, but actually one of the things I really appreciated about this promo and I would really appreciate it if they do this more often with Spike Treve promos he said I've been given six minutes but I will go on for as long as it takes and I immediately skip forward six minutes what a brilliant thing to do if you're going to book people like Spike Trevet, just put basically a sign up put a graphic up on the screen and say this will be over at this time maybe do like a skip intro button like Netflix do, skip Treve. And I could just go, boom, done, forward, finished. And I'd never have to worry about him. Um, so that's what I did. I skipped forward. And we're on to a singles match. Women's match. Laura Di Matteo against Rio. Uh, I really like Rio. Um, she's really, obviously, not a finished product. But she's good. She's got these great big slams. She's got a great look. She's got a great aura. Um... And I think she kind of exposed Di Mateo a little bit here because Rio's the real deal and I don't know if Matteo is. Matteo's one of those people who she feels like she's been around forever at basically the same level and and I think that hurts people. You know, again, COVID, caveat with that, that it extends things, I suppose. But I feel like I've been watching Di Mateo for a long time now and never really been that impressed with her. Wasn't she doing like the servant gimmick? to um oh, what was she called i completely forgot her name she's one of the biggest stars of progress the biggest women's star they to I, I can't remember but anyway it doesn't matter because it feels like she's been around forever and she's just at the same level and that's kind of killed her a little bit i think uh but a selling was great you know she really put Ria, uh, rio over which i think was 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 really wise and then she won uh di mateo because she's the number one challenger kind of made me question the validity of this match a little bit because Rio won the recent women's tournament that they did. So it kind of feels a little bit like keeping them separate would have been smarter. But yeah, that is what it is. They were a tag team match, women's tag team match, uh, which we don't often get, do we? Really, women's tag team matches. So it's really nice to see. Uh, Mercedes, Blaze and Tayonga against the Royal Aces. Royal Aces are super over. The crowd loved them. Charlie Morgan and Jetta. I think Charlie Morgan and Jetta are fine. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on them either way. I think they're both perfectly competent wrestlers, if not very exciting wrestlers. But the crowd loved them. And I think that that says it all, doesn't it? it? doesn't matter whether I love them or not, book them. Mercedes, Blaze and Tayonga are kind of a uh, two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Um... That Mercedes Blaze and Tayanga do the same thing, like they really they sneer at the crowd. You know they they present that they're above everything. I think Mercedes Blaze does it excellently, and Tayanga does it not great. <laughs> She's not brilliant at it. Um, there's a, a great point where Mercedes Blaze was doing some cool offense, and she was doing like big knees and things, and people started chanting against her. You know doing, know oh, if you hate Mercedes, clap your hands or whatever. But the Mercedes players would clap her hands and join in with the chance And I thought that was a really great idea. But Tayonga really dragged this down. You know, she was literally missing tags. She was reaching out for tags and it took her three attempts to get a tag in. I think her work just isn't on the, the level yet. It feels like it wasn't that long ago that I was seeing her in trainee shows. Um, so it's just... I feel like she needs more time and I I don't think this is the appropriate place for her to get it really. Um but again, tag team match third on the card. It's not worth getting help about. I think that I came away being really impressed with Mercedes Blaze and she's definitely someone that I wanna I wanna look at more in future. Then we were on to the next tournament first round, and this was a triple threat elimination match. Uh, Because apparently Joe Hendry really wanted Will Cruz in the tournament for some reason. Um, So it was Ricky Shane Page, Joe Hendry and Will Cruz. Uh, With Los Santos Jr. as an enforcer, I never got the Los Santos thing. I'm going to put that out there now. He's kind of that era for me when progress had really started to die off. And he represented silly progress. And a lot of progress is really silly. But the no fun police, I don't get it i I never got it I never will I, that's just not the kind of wrestling i like I like my wrestling with a straight face for the most part, and that, that he's the complete opposite of that um ricochet page is a funny one because he's one of them names, isn't he feels like a name, but to me he isn't really he's somebody who I get that he's a death match legend and he feels like he brings an aura and a feel with him that, okay, yeah, you book someone who's significant, but then when I think, take that first layer off the onion, I don't really have an opinion on Ricky Shane Page, I can't, he's one of those wrestlers where I know I've seen a lot of his matches, but I probably couldn't tell you anything about them, you know what I mean, like, I can't really remember any of them, I know he won a CZW tournament of death, probably, I think, at some point. Um, Will Cruz, again, he, he's a proper big lad. He looks great. I feel like he's on the edge of a breakout. So he's he's a good wrestler to get on board with. He's not there yet. And spoiler, he doesn't do it in this match. But I think he's got the potential to be somebody who, is, who breaks out and does really, really well. So maybe he's one to keep, keep an eye on. Um... And then we get Joe Hendry. I oh, God, I just don't like Joe Hendry at all. And I think it's a shame because throughout this match he was doing strength spots and he they're phenomenal. Like he's such a phenomenal talent at the bare, like sort of the basics, like actual doing the moves. Like the way he was able to literally throw these big lads around was impressive. Because they're a lot bigger than I mean, Joe Hendry's not small, he's very muscular, he's very built. But these are big, heavy bruisers. Uh, Ricky Shane Page and Will Cruz. And he was able to throw them around excellently. But his presentation here was really, really confused. Because Joe Hendry's a heel. But he does these funny custom entrances that everybody likes. So then people like him. And he ends up becoming a bit... Like, for example, with this one. Uh, he came out and he said, I will do my entrance if everybody is quiet. And then nobody was quiet. So he said, right, I'm not doing my entrance. I'm going to put it through my headphones so only I can hear it. But when he said he wasn't doing his entrance, everybody booed because they wanted to see his entrance. But he's a heel and it's, uh, I guess on the surface of it, it was funny, but again, it just it feels pointless when you think about it. You know, you think about it for more than 12 seconds, it's just like, this, this doesn't make any sense. And maybe that's a fault with me. I can hear you say that and I completely accept that that might be the case but I don't have to like Joe Hendry matches. And I don't really see... I don't know if anybody does, apart from the 150 people that were in the room and seemed to really like it. Um, it was a bit slow, this. It was a bit doing moves. You know, just like I say, Hendry's strength was amazing. Uh, Cruz picking people up and doing moves was was a, was, was really good at parts. Um but basically Hendry ended up doing death lifts, taking a pile driver and leaving because he got pinned by Cruz, which is a good idea. He put Cruz over because I don't think Hendry will become a progress mainstay. But he, there was no build to it almost. It's kind of the pin came out of nowhere, but nobody really reacted in a reacted in a shocked way. It just kinda of happened that it was over. Um in all honesty, I think this was set up for a Cruz breakthrough, like I said before, and it, it didn't really come across that way there were quite a few things that just didn't really work like Cruz tried to do a thing where he ran across the ropes like along the ropes um, and he fell but Ricky Shane Page very smartly quickly kind of dragged him a little bit on his way down and then pointed at his head to make out that he wasn't necessarily Cruz that fell he was pushed but then the commentary sold it like he made a mistake and you know these things happen so the it kind of exposed it a little bit and that's kind of what I've ended up remembering from the match really more than anything was that little botch and how badly they covered up for it so I'm not really a, a botch Slater to be honest with you I, I kind of think botch is a part and parcel and if you if like with this one you work it into the story one way or the other then you get away with it but the problem is they, they worked it into the story twice and then ultimately exposed it even more than it would have done in the first place and um, so it, it just it, it kind of left me a little bit flat. And there's the fact that it was a three-way as well. But it was a three-way elimination. The first pin happened quickly. So if you're going to do it, that's the way I'd want you to do it. Then we got Schaff and Jonah, which was another um, first-round match. This was from, uh, I believe, Defiant Wrestling, I think it was, in uh, in Canada. Or is it America. I should probably be better prepared for this. But I thought it would be highlights. But they ended up showing the whole match. And I think it was a mistake to show the whole match. And uh, not because it was a bad match. It was a perfectly good match. They were two huge blokes. Big bombs. Sold really well. Um, It really felt like a match that fed into the spirit of an Atlas tournament. It was big lads doing shoulder blocks. It was a red hot crowd. And the wrestling was probably the same standard as the matches that we would seen in the other two tournament matches that we've had so far. But they were a crowd that were really invested in it. They were reacting to what was in front of them instead of trying to come up with silly chants. They were really invested in what was going on. And it was weird watching it because I'm watching this match thinking this is what the whole tournament should have been. And it was just stuff like Jonah doing a fireman's carry and launching Shaq across the ring before going up to a top rope to screams. That's all it is. But then I'm looking at Cage match and I'm thinking, I've got Lycos against Ridgeway next. And this seems so much better than that will ever be. And, it, you know, this was the best match on the card. And I think it was the best because the presentation was better. The commentary was better. The wrestling was more appropriate to what we were doing. They felt more like stars than the people did on the show, apart from maybe the odd person. So it was it was a weird juxtaposition. You know, that thing of juxtaposition. You put a tall person next to a short person. The tall person seems taller. The short person seems shorter. You put a really great match in the middle of a load of average matches, and it has a similar effect. So then we're on to Ridgeway against Lycos. Um, there's a bit of a debate going around about Ridgeway. He's reaching some eyes now, obviously. He's gone back to Noah. He's in Stinger and he's a, he's a champion now for Noah. And a lot of people are saying that he looks awful. I think he looks kind of cool. I think he looks a bit like a squatty on the edge. But I like that. I think that's a really good look. He, he's got a bit of a less Jack dynamite kid about him. I'm not going to go in onto a Lycos rant with this one. Because I do that every episode. But the only thing I will mention is when they came out, and the commentary mentioned about how Lycos had teamed with Gresham, and sort of they're now like a baddie team. And the, one of the announcers went, "Yeah, top ten anime betrayals," and I immediately switched off. Then on the the commentary had done. I talked earlier on about how I didn't really notice them, but on hearing "top ten anime betrayals," I thought, "Right, no, I'm not, not even thinking about you ever again. Rubbish." This was a good match, you know. Again, with the Lycos thing, I feel like in a way by saying this was a good match, I'm kind of arguing against myself. But actually, I'm not. Because the reason this was a good match is because they weren't really the Lycos shenanigans. There was no powder, there were no baking trays. There was a little bit of Kid Lycos too on the outside, moving ropes and grabbing hands. But nothing really offensive and it was just wrestling and I I think that Lycos is obviously a good wrestler um, when he wants to be Um, it had one very particular pace and it never really slowed I felt like a lot of the time I was constantly waiting for the big bomb or the break or the you know the dominance and it never really happened and that's not a criticism necessarily it's just a style thing that maybe I would have preferred it to be a little bit differently I thought Ridgway at one point was getting battered with knees, and the way he sold was amazing, you know, just kind of glazed eyes. And then Lycos did this really weird sent on when Ridgway was sat up on his back, and it just it looked fantastic. There were lots of moments in this that were really, really good. Um, it was a whirlwind of wrestling, and I really liked it. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it, I liked a kid Lycos match, you could deal with it. Then we had Sky Smitson against Alexis Falcon. I thought this was a good idea because it was a nice, simple story from the last show. It you know, There was a four-way and these two ended up really not liking each other very much, so they, they had a match. Uh, he was dominant from Smitson, which is good because she's a lot more competent. than Ele- I think Alexis Falcon's fine, but Sky Smitson's a lot better. Sky Smitson Sky is the baddie, so it was appropriate to have the beatdown. But then there was a double count-out Um, because they got so wound up they forgot they were wrestling and it feels a bit like this feud must continue and I I, I don't know if it warrants that, I don't know if it warrants another match unless they want to do I mean to me the logical thing now would be to do like a no countdown match, a no DQ match and I suppose that would make sense to get a couple of matches out of it because this was short, it just felt a bit pointless really, but if it's part of a bigger story then then, then that's fine now we're on to sort of the juice of this uh, of this tournament And it's Big Damo against Luke Jacobs. And I'm still really conflicted about Jacobs. And I, I talked about him in the last episode and I said, I think it's time for Jacobs to sink or swim. And it feels unfair to say that because he's like 21. But it is the way it is. We can say till we're blue in the face that he shouldn't have been put in these positions yet and he should have had longer to be, become seasoned and to practice and to and to hone his craft. And He should still be wrestling the young guns, but one of them's injured and he is who he is now. He's a big enough name that, that people want to use him. And what do you do? You don't turn down big bookings, do you? It's like the Roman Reigns thing, isn't it? What, what's Roman Reigns supposed to do? Is he supposed to argue that he shouldn't win Royal Rumbles? Of course he shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that it's it's the best thing ultimately. And I worried with the Atlas Tournament that that's going to be a hard place for him to swim. Because he's quite small. He's stocky. He's chunky. He's a big lad in some ways. But he is quite small. And whenever I see him with heavyweights, I just feel like he gets eaten up a little bit. The big one for me was the Red Pro 9th anniversary when it was Young Guns against Aussie Open. And he just he just couldn't do the lifts. They couldn't do the power moves. But Luke Jacobs' whole style is built around doing these power moves. He's moving away from that a little bit into more of a brawler, more like lariats and punches. And I, I think that's, that's really appropriate. And when he was running and he was doing huge big lariats and this in the corner and I was thinking, oh, don't let me down, you know, I was into it, I thought, yeah, he's got that thing, but then Damo basically had to spine buster himself at one point, because I don't know if Jacobs could lift him. When it was strikes I was all there with Jacobs. But when it comes to the power moves against guys like Big Damo, because Big Damo is a he's a big lad, believe it or not. The name's not the name's not necessarily part of the gimmick but i was really into this as well at the same time it was cool you know jacobs was the underdog he was launching around he was jumping straight back up he was no selling clothes lines i was into it simple story jacob was battered and he had to fight back the lariat that he won with was spectacular um obviously a lot of that's to do with the way damo sold it but i'm i'm going to be really cautious of jacobs as i go through this tournament because I think, as I say, it's sink or swim now. He's he's treading water. And it he feels like he's been treading water for a while. And I'm ready to see something special from him now. I really am. And I hope he does as well, because I, I, think, I think he's great. Main event of this one was a tag team title match. 0 against the Sunshine Machine. I'm really into the tag title stuff with progress. There's a tag title championships I really want to see. And so were the crowd, but they did this chant, and oh my word, it was so annoying. They did a chant, oh, one, two, one, Sunshine Machine, and it went on forever. It went on forever, and they didn't leverage it into excitement for the match, and they should have done. Let it go on a minute less than they did, and it would have been fine but oh my word, this chant was going on and on and on. And I get if you're in the room, it probably had a great atmosphere, but I wasn't in the room. I was watching it on VOD and I had to skip forward and they were still going on and on and on and on. Once the match started, it was great. The first part in particular, it didn't really have any dead time. It was constant fighting. It was constant violence. It was the definition of what the kids call extra. You know, they didn't break a pin with a kick. They break a pin with a swanton bomb. Deris is superb, you know he he was launching off the stage, he was doing all sorts of cool stuff. he had an awesome energy. Maloney felt a little bit understated in the first part of this, considering he's maloney he was he was strange, but deris more than made up for it. few points in this match, things were slightly too choreographed, too many slight pauses while people positioned themselves and then they did this thing where Maloney got rocked, and Deris had to be on his own, and it slowed down a bit. Now as far as I'm aware that was story. I don't think he was shoot. I don't think he was shoot injured. If he was this kind of gates, what I'm saying. But it felt like I started to see the cogs a little bit here. Do you know as like earlier on in this match I had issues with them kind of taking a while to get themselves into positions. So oh one two one would do a dive, they'd miss and then Sunshine Machine would then get into their position for the next move, and you could see that 0-1-2-1 were getting in position to take that move, and it wasn't smooth, it wasn't like nice transitions. And this thing with Darius being on his own kind of took it to the next level. It felt like they thought, right, how can we get Darius over? Because he's somebody they're going to go all in with, and they absolutely should do. So they kind of had him fight back on his own. And I thought, why can't we get Darius over by him doing cool stuff? You know, it doesn't have to be this. He felt he felt contrived, basically is what I'm trying to say. Um, Maloney came back, and again, I don't know if this was a real thing or not, but it just whether it was or whether it wasn't, it stunted it. Um, it just there was bits when they were both up on each other's shoulders. You know, Sunshine Machine do that thing where Mambo stands on TK Cooper's shoulders, and then uh 0-1-2-1 did a similar thing and then flipped into a Canadian destroyer and it was just all very much it was too much. Like it it was all very much is basically what I'm trying to say. Um but overall it was good because listen, as contrived as those spots are when drillers breaking up pins with a pile driver you if you don't like that I don't know what to say. You know, that's just awesome isn't it? This was a three hour show. And I've been critical of bits, but actually, overall, I thought this was really good. The bit that bothered me more than anything was at the end when it came up that the new some, night two isn't being uploaded till like May the 7th. You're not PWG progress. PWG can get away with this because they sell $250 tickets and they sell out within seconds. You just have to move venues because you didn't sell enough tickets. You need to get this stuff edited, get it up. Get it edited and get it up. Let people watch it. Build a bit of a buzz around your brand. Start, stop going back to these old things. Get something new going. Get some new excitement going. You're going to have to take the belt off Gresham soon. And I think that would be a perfect place to get something new and exciting going. What that is, answers on a postcard. But don't send them to me, send them to WrestleTravel. Uh, Right, so that's it for Progress. Like I say, really good show, really worth watching. But it just stinks of Progress, doesn't it? So let's have a look at RevPro. So here's one that I can take seriously because this is our live in London and these are the ones that RevPro put a little bit more effort into these are kind of their bread and butter um and i feel i feel good now with my critics hat on i feel like i could really sink my teeth into this show um so let's just go through it then we started off with mysterioso against yota suji and i really need to think about yota suji i do this thing for voices of wrestling well i've done it a couple of times when we get these ...these young lions on excursion... ...and I do something called the midterm report... ...and it's a, it's a fancy way of basically saying... ...I'm looking at where they're up to... ...maybe halfway through their excursion... ...or towards the end when they're about to go... Um, ...and what would I say about Yota Suji? Because Great O'Kan... ...I had this gimmick to really sink my teeth into... ...and think about and then with Great O'Kan... ...there was always the potential with him... ...that was always really obvious... When he got into the tag team with Shar Samuel's and he started bounding around in a pair of jeans and no shirt on, and then you had his work with Gideon Gray that was fantastic. You had the fact with Oka that he was basically outshadowed by other young lions on his when he was supposed to be the big one. Like you know, it just it it was. I had a lot to talk about. We showed to Umino. We've had the fact that he feels like a star. But he put a load of weight on, he 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 kind of wrestles in a really lazy way, he never he really seems like he's that bothered. You have the stuff that he did with Moxley that gave you stuff to talk about. But what do I say about Yotasuji? What's he done? And I don't even mean necessarily good or bad. What do I say about his excursion that, that's exciting? I think he had a uh, he's had a couple of decent matches not really stand out as being fantastic. I mean, I suppose the best one is the one with Gabe Kidd at Wrestle Carnival that we talked about, but I don't really know if I'm going to be raving about him at any point soon. So when I'm looking at him with Mysterioso, I'm thinking, well, who's more exciting? Is Mysterioso more exciting than Yota Suji? I think he might be. We started this match with some of the most half-arsed wrestling imaginable. It was slow, it was boring, it was... There was a bit of jumping, but it, it spoke to an empty room and a and a training mat. It felt like they were both better than this. It got better, to be fair. You know, Mysterio also did some backflips, but there was lots of nonsense in it as well. Like Mysterio also going for a handshake, but then Suji refusing to shake his hand. And I, I think, well, why are we doing this? Like, well, what's caused this? There's no bad blood. You've just done a bit of bad wrestling. If someone offered to randomly shake my hand after maybe a conversation say, I would think that was weird. There was some good stuff in this, you know, like Suji did a top rope head scissors and then big dives, and I wondered why we weren't doing this from the start. The best bit, the bit that got the biggest pot from me actually was uh Gideon Grey mentioned big body drop uh, big bod dot so the shout out to Ian Hamilton. That was really cool. And a really nice thing to do. So I thought I thought that, that was really good. Um they did win me round in the end. Mysterio also did a cool moonsault, but uh, again, Suji just just wasn't very exciting. He did the spear. And it made me think about that move. Who do you associate with the spear? I mean, maybe everyone's gonna have different ones here, but I associate Edge and Goldberg. You know the spear doesn't really seem to be something that amazing workers do. This feels like one of those things, and I've just said that. And it feels like one of those moments where I'm forgetting, like a the like like genius wrestler who uses spears. So let me know if I've forgotten anybody. Um, but yeah, then we had Rhea O'Reilly against Hyan. Rhea O'Reilly's good. She comes out with a very kind of heelish attitude. Which stunk a pro wrestling a little bit, I thought. I feel like they're really convinced that Hayen can do this brilliant blue eye. Um, so she needs this clear heel, but I don't know if Hayen can. She's all poses and smiles and I, I just don't think it works. It's a bit of that Rocky Maivia energy. But obviously without the upside. So, I feel like, what are we doing? And then Rhea was the opposite. You know, she's she's a baddie now, so she's taking powders and she's. we get dive and brawl outside. And I think Andy on commentary, Andy Quilder, did really well. He was built talking about her past and things that she's achieved. And they kept the match simple. The heel did the beatdown and Hyann had to fight back. But then sometimes I'm thinking, is this what? I really want from RevPro. Do I really want it to be this black and white? Maybe like we were saying before about the different shows, that'd work well in your St. Nia's. But this is now the cockpit show or the live in London show I should say. And then guess what move Hyan did? She did a spear. <laughs> um It can never be really bad because it was all relatively competent and it was a solid story. It just wasn't very exciting. So it was a ladies three we've got a tag match, Ricky Knight Jr. and Robbie X against Dan Maloney and Lee Hunter Maloney's music starts and I am pumped up but I love Dan Maloney in Red Pro, I think he's great in the 0121, but Dan Maloney does his best work in Red Pro and so, you know, he comes out, someone puts their hand up to give him a high five and he just looks at them and keeps on moving but he looks at them with such a sneer, it was absolutely brilliant Um he was a little bit more understated here than usual. He wasn't bounding around as much as he does sometimes. But he climbed the rope and he did that kind of I'm looking at you gesture at Andy Quilden. And I love how ambiguous that was. Does that mean he's looking at him because he wants to beat him up? Is he saying he wants to be in a better position? Is he saying watch what you say about me? I don't know. But that's what's cool about it. Because you know Maloney's so volatile and dangerous that you never really know what he's 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 doing and he's talking about. They teamed it with Lee Hunter here, which is a bit can they coexist, but it kind of worked because again they just came up with a little bit of glue that stuck it together, a little bit of green stuff to to paper over the cracks. You know, the, the basically Lee Hunter and Dan Maloney are from a similar area. They're both in the Midlands. They train together and they they are associates, but Dan Maloney's probably been in his ear, and Lee Hunter's gone that way a little bit, um, which I thought was was really interesting. It's a really good rivalry. This. I think you know you put in uh, Robbie X in the middle, um, uh, but you've got basically Robbie X and Ricky Knight Jr. against Dan Maloney, and they're just three fantastic talents. And I, Lee Hunter's a perfectly fine workhorse, so I think that's good. One of the bits that I didn't like about this at the start was that they gave um Dan Maloney and Mike. And he had some great lines. You know, he called Robbie X a weakly and he mocked him because he was injured and, and things, but he was a bit stumbly and he can't really do the banter thing. And he got outclassed by someone in the audience We couldn't really hear what they were saying, but they clearly made him stumble over his words a little bit. And I thought, what you're doing really by giving Maloney a mic is exposing his weakness a little bit in a really unnecessary way. You know, he didn't, it didn't necessarily need to be that way. So why do it? Um, but they did. And I think, he, I think he he got away with it. But um, this match was, yeah, it was really good. You know, Robbie X, he's, he's a whirlwind, isn't he? He's all over the shop. He's absolutely everywhere. Um, it, 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 there's a bit few too many sort of scrapes of the eyes and kicks. And Hunter kind of played the heel a little bit at parts. And, you know... There was still enough here to keep me interested. Robbie X has got an absolutely amazing hot tag, and RKJ. I was talking about this on the Discord earlier. RKJ can do everything well. He could do speed well. He could do power well. He's just—he's so good. It really made me think about what we're doing now with RKJ, because I think this is a perfectly fine story that he's in the middle of. I don't think there's anything wrong with it necessarily. But I think there's got to be a time limit on RKJ, hasn't there? I mean, he's working for progress again. And it's got to be at the point now when they start bringing New Japan over again. And obviously Suzuki doesn't come alone. He's going to come with people. And you think, they're going to look at RKJ really closely and they're going to want him. AEW are going to want him. WWE are going to want him. I think that's inevitable in a lot of ways, but what that says to me is we need to be really doing something with with Robbie X. With, uh, sorry, with uh, Robbie X, with AKJ. We need to be putting him in positions where he's going to have match of the month level matches. He's not a Michael Oku that's going to be yours forever. And I think they need to make sure they're getting the most out of him before he goes, even if anything to build him up to put someone else over. You know that that the old. Territorial thing. That's just what you need to do. Um, Dan Maloney did a spear three matches, three spears. That is what it is. Um, we're back with Luke Jacobs again. Now we had Luke Jacobs against Kyle Fletcher. Um, when I said it's time for Luke Jacobs to sink or swim, I think he's more likely to swim in these kind of matches than he is in progress. But spoiler, he's the Atlas champion now, so it is what it is. Um, You know, on these shows, you get this kind of really good grappling. You know, he's grappling with Kyle Fletcher, but both of them are wrenching and grasping for ropes. It's not the kind of assisted fake grappling that you often get in progress. I think it's better for him to be part of this. Um, I really think that Jacobs is going to be like an Ishii when he's older, a Tomohiro Ishii. He's a stocky barrel, and he isn't that yet, he isn't close to being that. But I really get the vibe from Jacobs that he's going to be great in like 20 years if he's still around then. You know, he he's still got lots of little things to learn. Like he got thrown into the, into the side of the ring and his head hit the ropes, but he sold the head rather than the back. And the commentary had to say, oh no, that would have hurt his coccyx as well. You know, and, and these sound like little things, but what we're doing now with Jacobs is we're asking him to be on this next level. And that's the little things that make you on that next level. You know, these are the things that elevate you above the training. Um You do see the sparks from this all the way through with him as well. You know, T-bone suplex off the top, loads of exciting things. He's just still a little bit clumsy on transitions. His ankle lock isn't great. He even needs to build the ankle lock or drop it. Um I feel like with Jacobs that I've got a bit of a Kim Stanley Robinson energy with him. Kim Stanley Robinson wrote the Mars trilogy of books. And they're fine books. But the problem is the chapters are really long. And what he does is you get really bored halfway through the chapter. But then something happens at the end of the chapter that's quite exciting. So you think, oh, I'll just give it one more try. And I feel like that's the point I'm at with Jacobs now. I feel like, no, there's still hope. There's still hope. There's still hope. And I don't know how much longer he can sustain that. And I, I really hope he does. I don't want this to feel like I'm putting him down because actually it's the opposite. I think he's fantastic. Um, We'll see. Uh, you know, as he had his breakout performance, I guess we've still got to have a look at the uh, at the rest of the Atlas tournament to see. But I'm, I'm still waiting. When I get it, though, there's going to be a big celebration on this podcast for sure because I I, I really, really want it to happen soon. Then we've got Shota Umino against Lucian Phillips, and obviously Gideon Gray's involved in this one. And, you know, Gray still th- Gray still thinks that Amino is in the Legion and with him. Uh, Shota's been a bit of a of a talking point, really. Um, he disappointed in America, Amino, and I think in the same way that he's been disappointed in RevPro. He's clearly, like we were saying with Jacobs, he's clearly got something. He's He's clearly really fascinating, but he's just... He's just not reaching those levels that he needs to. Kind of made me nostalgic for the good old days of the Great old Khan because I never really got to that point with Great old Khan when I was like, oh, come on now. I still felt like he was progressing all the time. Um, so we- <laughs> What I liked about this one, there was some weird t-shirt stuff at the start, like um, they were trying to get Shota to wear a Legion t-shirt that he wouldn't do, but Shota threw his Shota Amino shirt at Lucian, who threw it to Gideon Grey, like who smelt the shirt like lovingly sniffed the shirt in such a funny way i'm not gonna do this justice you've got to see it the way you sniff the shirt and then put it on over his suit was just like you know this relationship that he's got with Shota to umino is is brilliant i love it um match was crap like (laughs) load of crap uh moves happened to a silent crowd um and I've been arguing for the commentary for Red Pro to be quieter and let moments breathe. And they finally did it in this match. And Andy needed to just talk to me all the way through this match. Because it, it was not very good at all. It was just... It was confused and it was silly. And, you know, Lucia Phillips is a bit of a jobber. But he dominated Amino and... Uh, it kind of crossed the line a little bit. Obviously, I think jobbers can get offensive in. and it's good that they got offensive. I don't think this should be complete squashes, really, generally, but this was too far the other way, so not really worth watching. Then we've got an undisputed British women's title match the champ Alex Windsor against Alison Kay. Um, Alison Kay really half arsed it last time she came to Red Pro. She had that thing of the, uh, you know, the, the, the import not really taking it seriously, and I, I got that impression from her here as well. Um, Alex Windsor looks and carries herself like a star. I really believe that. I think the problem is the problem with her is often her wrestling doesn't quite match up. Um, there was just silly shenanigans here, like Marty Bell was going on about. Marty Bell's Alison Kay's tag partner, and she came out and she's going on and on about would they change the name of the title to the American champion instead of the British champion. And then Alison Kay used that distraction to go for a pin finish, but the bell hadn't rung, so the ref didn't count the pin. And that's probably a, a pretty good metaphor for the match, really. Um, Kay got a visual pin at one point, but they had to play it off as an attempted wrist lock, even though both. You know, both her shoulders were on the mat. Quilden told me that this was a war, but it wasn't. It was rubbish. Rhea O'Reilly came out because she won the match earlier and she came out to challenge and I thought that was great. But then Alex Winder just punched her in the mouth and she fell out the ring. So she came out to challenge and looked like an idiot. She'd have been much better off if, he, if she'd have just come out to challenge and, and they had a stare down. That would have been perfectly adequate, the old New Japan method. But, you know, it is what it is. Mark Davis against Alex Coughlin. A rematch, but I liked it because I thought the first match was really good. Um, It feels like they've given Coughlin a bit more here in this match. It feels like they've given him a little bit of a story to chew on because previously he would just go out and and do his strength spots. Um, And this started off really well. Slapping, slamming on the outside, shoulder, um, barges. It was a big bruising match. It just didn't really have the excitement of the first one. Dunk was much better in this match. It's in kayfabe sense, he was much more dominant. He, he he was big punches and things, and he really dominated Coughlin, which you don't really you don't really see very often. Um, and there were little bit, but there were little bits in this that I didn't really like. Like Coughlin did his fall away slam thing and the bridge, but it took too long and it was a bit sloppy. Um, But this was big lads hitting each other. And how can you not get into that? You know, it it was a really good match. Then we've got an undisputed British tag team title match. Sunshine Machine against Destination Everywhere. And this is quite interesting because both shows we've looked at today, Progress Shows and Red Pro Shows, have both been headlined by tag team matches and had a team in common in Sunshine Machine. Um... I don't know which one was better. I think this is it's a little bit of a tricky one. I thought this one was really good. Um I think this always like a Connor Mills thing with me, like I'm a bit overcritical of Mills sometimes. But I think the problem with Mills is pairing him with Oku in a way he's he was intended to kind of elevate him a little bit because what Mills, Mills is a great wrestler but what he lacks is the charisma. So putting him with someone like Oku who's overflowing with charisma should in theory build him up a little bit, but actually it didn't really work that way because it just kind of highlights Connor Mills' lack of charisma, I suppose. But this was full action, you know, Mills and Mambo straight away, running ropes, hit tosses, monkey flips, hidden tags. Um I liked it because it was a tag team match on double speed. You know, Mills had a control period, but there weren't pauses. He wasn't, like, letting him crawl for tags and then not quite letting him get them. It was just fighting all the way through, and I thought that was really, really good. And Mambo's a great babyface with a great hot tag, and Cooper's brilliant because he fought everybody at one point. He got the hot tag, but then Cooper had to come in and fight two men. But it wasn't like this really corny dominance. He actually had to fight two men. People weren't waiting the turns. He had to scratch to come out on top, and he did. And that really added to the hot tag. Which so I thought was really, really cool. You know, you got double moonsaults. We had all sorts of cool stuff. Apart from the finish, which is kind of the most important part of the match, to be honest with you. Um, it was a weird tombstone thing, like a weird reversal. Mambo kind of snuck it with an O'Connor roll. And there was a bit where Mills and Oku collided. And it feels like they're always going back to this well of Mills and Oku splitting and not getting on. and But never actually doing it, really. And I don't know if I trust Red Pro at the minute to tell that story. So that was Red Pro live in London. Again, a really good show. I think as well, it shows, like we say, about how Red Pro feel like they're moving in the right direction. They feel a little bit more rewarding. But I feel like if you're asking me to rank these two shows and which one was better, I would probably say they were fairly similar. So kind of a tough one to call, really. Um, But definitely both shows... Are worth watching, I think, if you have the means. So that's RevPro live at London. I am going to dedicate myself in the next episode to not talking about RevPro and Progress exclusively because I've done two episodes in a row now and I, 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 I made the right decision. You know, I'm not saying that I've, I've done it for anything other than I want to talk about big things that have happened and what everyone's talking about but what i want to start doing is having a look at some smaller promotions so i've had lots of scandinavian stuff sent to me i've had some greek wrestling mentioned i think it would be really cool to kind of visit a territory and think about it and talk about it so if you've got a territory a country that you want to highlight and you think would be good to talk about on the show please send it to me and let me know um i hope you've had a nice time I hope my little ramble and rant at the start wasn't too much. But, you know, we've got to talk about it sometime, haven't we? We can't just focus on matches all the time. Sometimes we've got to take a bit of a step back. Um, but have a good fortnight, and I'll see you next time. Uh, don't forget you can follow me on at uh, EuroGrapsExp on Twitter. Uh, don't forget, if you like it, I'm I'm going to say this now, and I, I promised I wasn't going to say it, but I am give me a rating on Spotify or iTunes if you listen on there. Um, Give me an honest one. I would obviously like a five-star rating, but give me an honest rating um, and get in my Discord as well. I'm in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. You can get in there and have a chat about anything that you've seen. Um, I hope you have a lovely fortnight, and I'll see you next time.